Hey, good morning. Hey, I want to be really honest um, with you this morning. Uh, not that I'm not honest every Sunday that I teach, but I struggle with today's topic. Uh, today's topic is greed. And none of us really want to be associated with the topic, right? I mean, how many would, are willing to stand up and say, you know, I struggle with greed. I didn't think too many would. So that's why I wanted to say I do. Um, but I don't, I don't want to put greed in this category where um, none of us want to believe that greed is an attainable thing uh, for us. So what I did was I, I tried to make this relevant for all of us because um, greed is simply, and I struggle with it, greed is simply the desire to over-acquire. And I think all of us can admit that to a certain extent that, that we have this innate desire to acquire more than what we really need. In 2015, I bought for me um, a 2007 Mercury Mountaineer. All right, it was, it was new to me, um, and I loved the Mercury Mountaineer. It's always been one of my favorite rigs, and so I bought myself a Mercury Mountaineer. And in the process of buying that Mercury Mountaineer, I purchased the WeatherTech custom form mats that go inside. You know what I'm talking about, the WeatherTech mats? You know, you can get mats at Costco for $19.95. The WeatherTech custom mats are 325 bucks. All right, and on top of the WeatherTech mats, I bought one of those luggage compartment uh, concealers, which I've used once to conceal my luggage. Um, and also, I bought the roadside maintenance kit. And then on top of that, I bought the roadside first aid kit. And now I'm thinking about getting my windows tinted. <laughs> and, and so what I did was I purchased something and what happens to us sometimes is that we purchase things to enhance the things that we've purchased. Have you ever done that? Yeah, that, and what happens is I'm participating now in the desire to overacquire. I didn't need any of those additional things. And maybe, maybe that's happened with you or maybe someone like me hasn't helped you uh, point it out. How about this? You go to the store just to buy a pair of pants. And you get home with this new pair of pants and realize that nothing in your closet enhances the new pair of pants. And so what do you do? You got to go out and buy a belt for the new pair of pants and then you buy a shirt to match the new pair of pants and then maybe another pair of shoes to match the new pair of pants. And what happens is we're buying things to enhance our purchase. What we've done is we are participating in the desire to over-acquire. Anybody else guilty of it? Yeah, I think, I think all of us can say to one extent or another that we all have the desire to over-acquire. So this morning I want to talk to you about how do we, how do we nip that in the bud? Um, and so I'm going to talk about kind of the three stages of the desire to over-acquire. And, and they're broken down like this. There's the seed of greed, the need of greed, and the deed of greed. Those are the three things we're going to talk about. So let's start with a story that comes from Jesus, and it comes from Luke chapter 12. And here's what it says. A person in the crowd got Jesus' attention. person in the crowd, not identified, just a person in the crowd. Teacher, intervene and tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me. 
And so right away, I want to show you that here we have the seed of greed. In other words, there's a germination place. There's a place where, there's a place where greed begins. There's a place where this desire to overacquire begins. And Jesus says, since when am I your judge or your arbitrator determining if you have enough compared to your bro or anyone else for that matter? Then he used that opportunity to speak to the crowd. So here's what I want to give you the first thing is this. The seed of greed is comparison. Comparison. That's what happened in this story. The person in the crowd says, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance. In other words, what's he doing? He's automatically comparing where his brother is, what his brother has compared to what he has. And so all the desire to overacquire begins at one place, and it begins with this thing called comparison. Here's the, here's the issue for me to share with you. We compare to despair. Some, sometimes when we, when we look around, we despair because we begin to compare what everybody else has parked in their driveway. Do you ever do that? When somebody has something better parked in their driveway, we despair because we compare and we think that maybe I can catch up and have something equally well or equally desirable parked in my driveway. And, and so the, the whole idea is, with respect to comparison, we simply have too much information. There's too much information out there about what's available and what everybody else has compared to what we have. So the idea is because we know what's available and because of what others have, we begin to develop what I call, now listen, the stress of having less. Do you ever stress about that? We, we, stress because, we stress because we think we have less than other people have. And in the stress of less, we begin to despair. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. See, the, the desire that we have to keep up all of a sudden starts this momentum in our lives. How, how, many, how many in the room would admit that if I've acquired something simply because someone else had it and I saw it. I, you know, I have. And, and, and so what Jesus is talking about right here, he's, he's talking about the fact that would, would I be okay? Would I be okay? Would Art be okay if he didn't know what was in anybody else's garage? Would I be okay if I didn't know what was at Costco? Would I be okay if I didn't know it was on sale at Walmart? Would I be okay inside myself if I didn't have the knowledge that I had about what other people have or what's available? Would I be okay? And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not going to be your judge. I'm not going to be the one that decides for you whether you have enough or don't have enough. I'm not going to be the one that decides for you whether or not you want to compare yourself to this person or that person or anybody else for that matter. Jesus just says, I'm not going to be that person. But Jesus also uses the opportunity. He uses the opportunity to tell a story. And this is the story that he tells. And it leads us into the next point. See, the, the need of greed is consumption. 
The need of greed is consumption. In other words, greed has a need, and the need is I need to consume the next thing. So Jesus tells this story. He goes on. He says, you'd better be on your guard against any type of greed. The need of greed is consumption. For a person's life is not about having a lot of possessions. Then beginning another parable, he tells this story. And it's an amazing story, and it applies to all of us today. It says, a wealthy man owned some land and produced a huge harvest. He, he often thought to himself, I have a problem here. I don't have anywhere to store all my crops. What should I do? I know. I'll tear down my small barns and build even bigger ones, and then I'll have plenty of storage space for my grain and all my other goods. Then I'll be able to say to myself, I have it made. I can relax. I can take it easy for years. I'll just sit back and eat and drink and have a good time. See, the assumption here and we all struggle with it. And I got this from Andy Stanley. He says, the assumption is that it's all about my consumption. And, and we see right away that Jesus uses the word greed. At the very, at the very beginning, he says, um, you should guard against this type of greed. And so I wanna, I wanna give you the biblical definition of greed. And it's this. Having numerically more. That's what Jesus says. He says, you, I want you to guard against this kind of greed. The need to have numerically more. Or the desire to over-acquire. And so he's, he's very blunt about the whole thing. And he says, I want you to, I want you to Guard against the desire to just add one more thing to your life. And what's interesting is that if we go through the text, I, I, want, you to, I want you to see this because I want, you, I want us to understand the I and the my. All right, here's what it says. A wealthy man owned some land that produced a huge harvest. He often thought to himself, now watch, I have a problem. I don't have anywhere to store all of my crops. What should I do? I know I'll tear down my small barns and build even bigger ones. Then I'll have plenty of storage space for my grain and all my goods. Then I'll be able to say to myself, I have it made. I can relax and take it easy for years. I'll just sit back and relax and have a good time. See, the assumption here for this rich person is that it's all about his assumption, it's all about his consumption. And, and the idea, the idea is, is one that struck me. And so I started doing a little bit of digging about this, this desire to over acquire. Is there, is there a name for it besides greed? And, and here's what I discovered. In the 18th century, there was a fellow by the name of Dennis Diderot. Here's Dennis here. Um, he lived from 1713 to 1785. And Dennis was a French philosopher. And he was poor. He was poor as dirt, as a matter of fact. And it never really bothered Dennis until he realized that 
his daughter was going to get married, and in her getting married, he was so poor that he couldn't provide a dowry for his daughter. And, and so he was poor and content, but he was discontent because he wasn't going to be able to marry off his daughter in the appropriate way. Now, now Dennis was a French philosopher, and he had an asset to his name. And he put together the first encyclopedia. It was the biggest collection of human knowledge that was available to anybody, and he had put it together. And Catherine the Great of Russia found out that Dennis had this encyclopedia, and he sold it to, the, he sold it to Catherine of Russia for a 1,000 pounds, which in today's money would be about $75,000. And so Dennis went from being poor as a pauper to having lots of resources to spare. And in the process, he was able to provide his daughter a dowry so that she could get married. And Dennis did one thing for himself, one thing. And he bought himself a scarlet robe. And in purchasing that scarlet robe, you'd think, you know, this guy struggled for years and years and years with no resources, with being poor, and all of a sudden he allows himself this one indulgence. And the one indulgence was that he was going to buy himself a scarlet robe. He bought the scarlet robe, and he took it home, and that's when all of his trouble began. Because here's what's happened. Dennis's scarlet robe was so beautiful that it didn't go with anything else in his house. And what happened is that when he realized he got his scarlet robe home, he noticed that it was out of place because it was surrounded by all of the common possessions that he had. And so what he did was he decided that at that point he would buy a new rug from Damascus and get rid of his old rug. He decorated his home with beautiful sculptures and a better kitchen table. He bought a new mirror to place above the mantel and his straw chair was relegated to the antechamber and replaced by a leather chair. And this is the reactive process. It became known as the Diderot effect. And it's this. These reactive purchases are also known as the Diderot effect, which states that obtaining a new possession often creates a spiral of consumption, which leads us to acquire more new things. As a result, we end up buying things that our previous selves never needed to be happy or fulfilled. You ever done that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty common. Y'all know I love to fly fish. And, and when, when, when I go to the sporting goods store, all right, and I get myself a new rod and take it home, you know what I realize? It doesn't go with any of the other stuff I have in my fishing supplies. And so the new rod has to have a new reel, and the new reel has to have a new creel, and the new creel has to be supported by a brand new pair of waders, which have to be supported by another brand new pair of mudder boots to go in the river. And, and so you see that what Jesus is talking about is that, is that the need of greed is to acquire just one more thing in order for us to be fulfilled. Now here's the Here's the challenge. The challenge is, it's really not about the things. 
It's our thinking about the things. And, and in the process of walking through this story, this, this particular person in the story, this one with all the crops, he thinks the crops are going to be the solution to all of his long-term needs. And it won't be the case. Because here's what happens. The deed, the deed of greed is concession. We know, that we know the seed of greed is comparison. We know the need of greed is to acquire just one more thing. And then the deed of greed produces something in our lives. And this is what the story says. The story says, then God interrupted the man's conversation with himself. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, this man is now confronted with the fact that in desiring to acquire one more thing, he says, excuse me, Mr. Brilliant, but your time has come. Tonight you will die. Now who will enjoy everything you've earned and saved? This is how it will be for people who accumulate huge assets for themselves, but have no assets in relation to God. See, the challenge is this. It's, it's not about the thing. It's not about the crop. It's our thinking about the thing. See, the crop doesn't change. The crop is the crop is the crop. But what's happened is, is that Jesus is trying to get us to rethink what we think about the thing that we're thinking about. And let me, let me give you an example. Let's, let's say that, that on your birthday, someone gives you a new uh, technical device, gives you a, a new iPhone, for example, um, and, and you receive the gift, the thing, the iPhone, you receive the gift, and, and you begin to use the gift, and you begin to use the gift with respect to all the things that it does to make your life easier. You use the gift to text people. You use the gift to um, communicate via emails. You use the gift to log on to Facebook. You use the gift to log on to Pinterest. You do all the things that the gift provides, and you think to yourself, this makes me happy, right? The thing is making me happy because I'm now able to do all the things that I used to not be able to do because I have a new thing to do those things with. And you have a great attitude. You have a great, um, you feel great fulfillment with respect to the thing. And then, and then, one day you overhear from someone that the thing that you got was secondhand. It was a return. It was a refurbish. It wasn't new to you. You're the second owner of the thing. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking about the thing begins to change because now you know the nature of the gift wasn't a genuine new to you gift. This is a genuine secondhand gift that's been given to you in some fashion for you to use. And then all of a sudden, you're thinking about the thing begins to change because now you know differently about the thing. Now, here's the question. 
Did the thing change? No. What changed was your thinking about the thing. And that's what happens in this story. Jesus Jesus knows that this farmer has this thinking about the thing called the crop and that the thing was going to provide security, that the thing was going to provide longevity, that the thing was going to provide happiness, that the thing was going to provide fulfillment, that the thing, the thing, the thing, the thing, the thing. And what happens? Jesus does what Jesus always does, and he flips the script. He, 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 says, he says this, how is it, how is, this is how it will be for people who accumulate huge assets for themselves but have no assets in relation to God. In, in, in other words, I'm going to turn this thing completely over. And in turning it completely over, that's, that's how Jesus gets our attention. Because, because this is how you and I are taught to live. You and I uh, are taught to live in a particular way. I, I was taught to live in a particular way. And, and in that particular way, it, it generally went like this. When it, when it comes time to learn how to live, it's generally, I learned to live to save, and if anything is left over, to give. Th- that's how this person in the story was living. They, they were living as if the assumption was all about their consumption, and, and they learned that I'm going to live, I'm going to save, and I'm going to give. And Jesus turns it all the way around, and he said, this is how we should live. He said we should give and save and live. See, the, the question for me and the question for you is really this. The, the idea and Meredith has talked about it over the last several weeks, is that every one of these topics has a thesis and then there's an antithesis. And when you begin to look at the whole issue of the desire to acquire over acquire, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is generosity. And the generosity happens in our lives when we begin the process of giving first. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you live or um, how you make your priorities in life. Steve mentioned earlier during the giving moment. The idea here is, is not for you to feel any kind of compulsion to support the ministry of the rock. The idea here is for you to flip the script in your life like I had to flip the script in my life. 
because I was born and raised on the live and the save and the give philosophy. Now I can, re- I can remember packing it up to go to school when, when I was leaving my hometown and going to the University of Nevada here in Reno. Um, my, my dad said to me, my dad said to me, being a, a, a Dust Bowl immigrant from Oklahoma to the Southern Nevada, he said, you know, I never had the opportunity. I never had the opportunity to go to school. And so I want you to have this opportunity to go to school because I'll never forget it. He says, I want you to live better than I have. And you know what he was telling me? He says, I want you to have the ability and the desire to acquire more than I ever did based on my background and based on my education. And so you know what I heard? I heard that success was about accumulating, acquiring, making more for myself. And so early on, I was given the position of comparison. My dad said right away, compared to me, I want you to be richer. And so I left. I left town with that seed planted in my mind, and I went to school and graduated with that seed planted in my mind. And I went into um, business, got into the business community, and began to acquire and acquire and acquire and acquire. And the more I looked around, the more I realized how far behind in the race I was. Because you know what? We can always find somebody that has just one more than we do, or plenty more than we do. And I lived that way for 25 plus years. And then something happened. See, the the challenge, the challenge for us, both inside and outside the church, is that the philosophy simply doesn't work. because we're never going to catch up. And so one day, complete surprise to me, I had this collision with the cross. I met this person called Jesus Christ. I confessed my sins and he was faithful and just to forgive my sins and I was purified at that point. But it wasn't just about that transaction. It, it was about a transition. And the, and the transition was I needed to change a lot of the areas of my life. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. He, he's talking about when we eventually run into Christ, he flips the script in a lot of different areas. What once was important gets relegated to the bottom 
and what was never important gets put to the top. And you know what was never really important to me during all of this desire to acquire or over-acquire stage? It was other people. And something radically changed. And the radical change is called the transformation. And so now, here's how we try to live. The first fruits of whatever we acquire, we try to give those away. And our first priority has always been the church since we found this new way of living. Then we save for our future and then ultimately live on the rest. And, and you might say, well, that preaches well. <laughs> Maybe you'll say, no, it doesn't. I'm, not, I'm tired of listening to it, you know, actually. But the challenge is this. You will never put give at the top until you realize what's been given for you. Because Jesus is pretty clear in other places in Scripture that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. And so if you're devoted to money, you'll despise God. And if you're devoted to God, you'll despise money. And despise means that it won't be your top priority. And so the desire for this church, for its folks, is for, is for you, first of all, to make that connection with Christ. To say to yourself, I don't want to any longer be caught up in the philosophy of the desire to over-acquire. The first thing I want to acquire in my life is you. And so Jesus is offering us in this story an opportunity to say, you know, Heavenly Father, I don't want any more to put me first and you last. I want to put you first. Did I say that right? No. I don't want to put me first anymore and you last. I want to put you first and then me last. And, and that can only happen when you say, I'm going to put my trust, I'm going to put my hope, I'm going to put everything that I can in the sacrifice that took place on the cross for me 2,000 years ago because I want to change my priorities. I want to change the way I do business with you, God, and I want to change the way I do business with other people. Then, he asks us to reorder our lives. There's nothing that will bring more satisfaction, more contentment, more hope, more fulfillment than being someone that gives first and lives last.
That's really what this story is all about. So Heavenly Father, this morning, just asking for this church, for those that are here, that you would just take for a moment those, those hearts that might be far away from you and draw them close. That you would touch them. Allow them to confess that sin may be influencing their whole life and that they want to confess that and ask you to forgive that and replace it with the sacrifice of your son who gave his life as a ransom for many that they might have a relationship with you from this point on and that they would be changed Nobody here wants to get to the end and be confronted with what's in this story that we will have acquired so much and lost you in the process. Let us gain you now so that we can live in freedom and in fulfillment and in health for the rest of our lives and that it would never ever have anything to do with things ever again. And we thank you and we praise you in your son's powerful and glorious name. Amen.